coming up. She's willing to relive these incredibly difficult moments and revisit these, you know, incredibly difficult questions because she wants justice. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. On the night of October 15th, 2011, Melissa Becker sent her 17-year-old son, Blake Chappelle, off to a school dance with a smile. He never came home. A 17-year-old vanished after his homecoming dance, and he was found only in his underwear in Aquita County Creek months later, and his killer is still walking free. He was just an innocent child. I just want to know why. Savannah Levins with 11 Alive in Atlanta, Georgia, and you're reporting you call Blake Chappelle the kind of kid who is friends with everybody. What else have you been able to learn about Blake through your reporting? Yeah, you know, all of Blake's friends and family said he's just kind of that kid with, you know, a huge heart, had no enemies in the world, you know, loved his dirt bikes, loved his family, loved his friends, uh, was friends with everyone, as you mentioned. And that, you know, that's one of those things that makes this case all the more mysterious. So take us through then what happens on the night of October 15th, 2011, the night of this homecoming dance at Blake's school. Yeah, so Blake was, you know, just a typical 17-year-old kid going off to homecoming that night. Uh, you know, he got all all dressed up, all ready. He was going to spend the night at his friend's house that night. He, uh, you know, they had planned that all out. So he leaves for the homecoming dance uh, and then he goes to his friend's house after, as planned, and calls his mom, also as planned, and says, Mom, I had a great time, you know, got to dance with my friends all night. It was incredible, best night of my life. And that's the last time she ever heard from him. Was there anything in that conversation with with his mom, you've talked to her, to indicate that that anything was wrong or, or that there was something going on that night? Or did everything seem normal, that he just had a great time at the dance? She said everything seemed totally normal. In fact, she she slept quite well that night knowing that he had so much fun and that, you know, he had called from his friend's house like he said he was going to do and and Blake seemed great. What does his night look like from there then? What have we learned through the friends that he was with? So this is kind of a recounting between what friends and family have told me, what I've gathered from police reports and documents and uh, from police and investigators themselves. So uh, basically what happened was he gets to the friend's house, right, checks in with mom. Then he and his friend decide to walk to the gas station. Again, these are, you know, teenage boys. They decide to walk to the gas station and get some, you know, energy drinks. And they're walking and hanging out. Right, that's that's the pinnacle of freedom when you're 17. Totally, right? I mean, it, it just brings you back <laughs> to your own teenage years. They, you know, they just had a great night at homecoming. They didn't want the night to end. So they were seen walking to the gas station. Uh, gas station employees confirmed seeing them. They, you know, got their energy drinks, started walking back to the friend's house. And Blake said that he actually wanted to go by his girlfriend's house. His girlfriend, who was his date to the dance that evening, wanted to go by and, and see her. Well, the friend said, I don't want to go, man. You can go off by yourself. So Blake goes walks to his girlfriend's house, sneaks in the window. Again, we're talking about teenagers here, right? So he sneaks in the window. He's hanging out with his girlfriend for a little bit until they're busted uh, by uh, girlfriend's grandmother, actually. So Blake leaves and goes to walk back to his friend's house. 
Uh, this was early morning, so about 2, 3 a.m., I believe. Uh, and that is the last time he is ever seen alive. The next morning then, Blake's mom gets a call from the friend that he was staying with or was supposed to be staying with. He tells her Blake's missing. What do things look like from there? Well, she was, of course, shocked. I mean, when I asked her to recount that, she said, I couldn't understand, you know, what the friend was telling me. What do you mean he's missing? He called me last night. He was staying the night at your house. I'm I'm like, what what do you mean Blake's missing? Well, he went to his girlfriend's and he never came back. So this call's made around 11. And at that point, you know, all of Blake's friends and family, are they're driving around looking for him. They're calling him. And then they report him missing to police. We started calling him and uh, nobody could get in touch. It's like he just disappeared off the face of the earth. What do the next few days and, and eventually weeks look like from there as Blake's family and police are, are out searching for him? Yeah, you know, this is one of those tough things when kids go missing and there tends to be a disconnect between, well, was this a runaway situation or is this a very dire situation? And from everything I've, I've seen and read, there was a bit of that disconnect between uh, Blake's mother saying there's no way he would run off. There's no way he would just go missing. Uh, and police, she said, uh, were convinced that he might have just run off and and he would be back any day now. So uh, it took a little while, maybe two or three days for, for search efforts to really ramp up at at some point, though, they did really have the whole department searching. Mom sitting at home waiting, uh, you know, for him to come home. Uh, she said, you know, she believed that he was just going to walk down that driveway and, and you know, into her arms any moment. So, uh, you know, you just imagine how hard it would be to not know where your kid is for days. But this turned into days, turned into weeks, turned into two months of no one knowing where Blake is and not hearing a word from him. You mentioned that disconnect or or that possible disconnect between Blake's mother and law enforcement. I know you've been digging into some questions that she's raised about whether or not police attempted to actually triangulate his phone after he went missing. Tell us what was going on there. Yeah, so this was December of 2011. So we didn't have as much of the technology as we have today. So that might have played a a bit of a role in it. But basically, Blake had this cell phone uh, that was a text-only cell phone. The actually last text he ever sent was to his girlfriend after he left her house saying, I just got pulled over by a cop. He just asked me where I was going and then left me alone. Um, So that's also an interesting element of this case that we've never been able to figure out, you know, what really happened there. In fact, police said that they don't even know that he was stopped. They were never able to figure that out, uh, which is very strange. Um, But as for the, the cell phone, you know, right away, Blake's mom, of course, as most parents would, would said, you know, please triangulate his phone. He had his phone on him. Uh, and so it doesn't appear that police did that. I interviewed the investigator in charge of the case now, and he said they didn't triangulate it per se, but, uh, they did pull records. Uh, but you know, those records covered such a broad area that it didn't really help them in the investigation. And Blake's mom tells me that, you know, she thinks their hesitancy to, to do that, uh, and really kind of pull out all the stops for this search right away is because she she believes uh, that the police kind of had it in their minds that Blake had run away.
It's then about two months after Blake was last seen in December of 2011 that his mom gets a call from police. Tell us about that phone call. Oh man, that's just one of those heartbreaking phone calls that you never want in a million years, right? Uh, So she gets the call. They say they found Blake. He was found in a creek. Two joggers actually running by found his body and phoned it in. Uh, He was found only in his underwear, um, his shirt, jacket, phone, wallet, everything to this day have never been found. Uh, And he was shot and killed. And, um, you know, it's just so heartbreaking to talk to his mom, even, you know, these 10 years later about how she relives that every single day, that phone call that day and realizing that her son was never coming home. And not only that, but to learn that he was killed and and dumped in such a horrific way. My world stopped that day. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was still, I had hope that he was going to walk down that driveway. I know police have called this a homicide. They said that that much was clear, but they haven't released a ton of other details about the scene or, or his medical records, things like that. Is there anything else that you've been able to learn about Blake's death or, or any other possible evidence that was recovered where his body was discovered? Yeah, well, I can tell you this has been as a journalist on this case, so one of my biggest frustrations. And, you know, as journalists, we are able to uh, make open records requests. But since this is technically an open case, they have the grounds to deny a lot of those. And that is on the premise that they want to keep the information that they do have uh, kind of confidential and close to chest uh, in case they ever do have suspects, which, you know, of course makes sense. But, you know, they are using uh, that as, as a reason to not release a lot of information. So, yeah, they won't even tell us how many times he he was shot. Um, They wouldn't tell us if, and these are questions I explicitly asked, wouldn't tell us, confirm or deny if there was DNA pulled, um, you know, how long they even think he was in the water for. They said he could have been, you know, dumped the night he went missing or he could have been kidnapped and then, you know, dumped in the river later because of the, the body decomp, they weren't able to, they say, weren't able to even determine a, a real specific timeline onto when he ended up in the creek. Um, so what they did tell me is that they know it was a murder. They know it was a homicide. But besides that, not really releasing a lot of information. And really, another reason they told me uh, that they're keeping what they have close to chest is because they frankly don't have a lot. Uh, and so the the few things that they do know, uh, you know, for instance, where and how many times he was shot, something that the person who did this or anyone who witnessed it only would know. Uh, so that's kind of why they say they're holding on to that info. But it's frustrating for, uh, you know, folks like myself, for Blake's mother, for uh, the public who, who wants answers after nearly a decade of not knowing what happened to this kid. And you mentioned that we are coming up on a decade. It's It's been almost 10 years since this happened. What has happened in those 10 years? What has the investigation looked like in that time? 
So what the current investigator who took over the case about two years ago, actually the main investigator on the case at the time, it was his first homicide case. He just became the chief uh, like two weeks ago. Um, so there's a new investigator on the case. He's had the case for about two years. Uh, he said when he got it, he just kind of went back over it, you know, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's again. Uh, but they're pretty frank in saying we just don't have anything like they have vetted all of the suspects who have come up. And there were several. I think he said uh, more than a dozen suspects that they, you know, question, they've done polygraphs, and they say every single suspect who was brought forward, they were able to rule out in one way or another. Now, I did clarify with them, you didn't rule anyone out just based on a polygraph. And, and they said, no, you know, they had uh, multiple methods of, of ruling people out, that being just one of them. Um, but as of right now, there's no suspects, they say. There's no leads. It's all really dried up. Uh, and so their big emphasis is that someone knows something, you know, someone out there knows what happened and they're really asking for, you know, that person to, to come forward. There's still a $20,000 reward in this case right now. Uh, you know, the big effort is just keeping his name out there. And, you know, another bizarre really piece of this story is that it was never really covered at all. Um, and, in the media, anywhere, it really didn't get a lot of news coverage. Um, I had only heard of it through the grapevine, through friends who live in the area uh, as saying, hey, can you look into this? Like, I've never seen any coverage of this at all. Um, so really renewing those efforts, uh, getting the word out is kind of the focus right now, because until someone comes forward and says something, we're just kind of stuck and there's still no justice. There's one other detail that jumped out at me in your reporting, and this is from from Blake's phone records. There was a text, actually the last text sent from his phone to his girlfriend. He told her that police had pulled him over just to ask where he was headed. Presumably, the officer who pulled him over would be an important witness in all of this, but have investigators been able to figure out who that officer was if if that traffic stop did happen? I asked about that, and that is, you're right, I mean, one of the biggest questions in this case, you know, did that traffic stop happen? I mean, it was the last text that Blake ever sent, you know, the last communication, as far as we know, that he had with, with anyone before his death. Um, and so I asked investigators about that, and they were a bit evasive about it in, in the sense that they didn't tell me exactly what they did to, to look into that at the time uh, or since. But what they did tell me is that they're kind of hazy on it, I believe was the exact quote, was that they were never able to determine who, if anyone, actually pulled Blake over that day. Um, you know, Blake's mom has really pushed and pushed at the time for them to, you know, go back and check the GPS in the, you know, police vehicles. You know, her thought is there's got to be a way to know, right? Uh, you know, you have an on-duty, presumably, officer pull over my child in the middle of the night. There's got to be a way. And it's a relatively small police department in town. Uh, but, yeah, investigators tell me they they were never able to uh fully determine if that really happened or not. Uh, so it's very strange. It is strange. And, and even if there weren't a record of the specific traffic stop, you'd, you'd assume there would be a record of every single officer that was on duty that night. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, the other question is who that people have asked is who sees a 17 year old walking on the street in the, at two o'clock in the morning and says, you know, on your way, son. So, you know, there are also questions of, you know, maybe Blake just texted his girlfriend that uh, and he wasn't actually stopped. You know, who knows? And it's just one of those big mysteries of this case. You've talked about your recent conversations with Blake's mother. What has this been like for her to have her son's case still unsolved now, almost a decade later? You know, talking with her, it's just one of those conversations you hate to have. Uh, You hate to have her relive all of this and and see how painful it is still. Uh, But she's doing it because she wants justice for her son. Um, She's willing to relive these incredibly difficult moments and revisit these you know, incredibly difficult questions because she wants justice. And something that was so poignant to me that she said at the end of our interview, we had spoken about like two hours. And at the end, as we're we're saying our goodbyes, she said, you know, I would forgive this person. She says, in fact, I have forgiven this person. I've forgiven this person without a face, you know, but I just want to know why. You know, she said this was an innocent child. All I want to know is why. And that really stuck with me. You know, she doesn't want revenge. Justice, yes, of course. But for a mother to not know why someone would kill her 17-year-old baby who was, you know, the best friend of everyone, who lit up a room, never had an enemy, she just wants to know why. It's a really heartbreaking conversation. We'll be hoping she gets those answers soon. Savannah Levins with 11 Alive in Atlanta. Thanks for sharing the story. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new episode every day, Monday through Friday. So make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now. If you're interested in checking out some of our other podcasts, you can head over to vaultstudios.com or search Vault Studios in your podcast app. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Volt Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.